so good to be with you here today uh, in the room and online. It's been such a fun weekend. Um, in addition to uh, just, uh, it's my first experience with the air show. There's, there's some exciting events happening. Um, on Friday night, uh, we had Her Night, which, uh, yes, yes, Her Night. Uh, over 80 women gathered for worship and food and a message, and uh, it, was, it was just amazing. Um, I only got to hear from it. They did not let me in the building. Um, I kind of had feelings about it, but it was an awesome thing, and thank you for all the leadership that put that together. The very next day, though, I was invited to participate in the very first ever Men Golfing Together tournament, and so that was a blast. Over 40 guys got together, and we got to hang and golf and, um, and eat some burgers, and really everyone won because of those reasons, but we did have uh, some prizes. We did have, it was a tournament, and so we, uh, we gave a first, second, and third place prize, and so we have a picture of the second place team, uh, which was Jamie, Stewart, Joe, and Richard, so if we can just give them a hand, second place. And then, of course, we had our first place team who just were just incredible, AJ, Dave, and Christopher, who just blew everyone out of the park, so trio there. But here's what happened. Because we had to wait for all the teams to, to come, um, there was a, a couple of uh, teams that didn't stay. And, and I, I think some of those teams, maybe they didn't stay because they didn't think they were going to be in top three. And so let this be a lesson. Always believe in yourself. <laughs> because what I want to do right now is I only see one of them, but I want to present uh, the award to one of the uh, members of the third place team, and that is Jordan Roth. Jordan Roth, you were on that third place team, buddy. Come and get you. <laughs> Congratulations. And Jordan, I know Chris is Chris, uh, Chris Chris is also on that team. Let's give it up for Chris. Chris Bren. Here you go. Here you go. Congratulations. Who needs to make the dream team when you get that? And then uh, is Ben Farley here? He's helping. So guys, you know, take a picture with Ben. Yeah, give it up for Ben. Uh, and then Shane Rice is the first, so Shane Rice is not here, but yeah. Let's have Chelsea come up. Chelsea, come up and receive on behalf of Shane. Congratulations. Yes, 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 yes. Awesome, awesome. Oh, Jordan, how does that feel? It feels real good. He said it feels real good. How many of you don't like to receive awards? Anyone? Anyone not like to receive awards? Can we all agree that? Receiving recognition feels good, no matter what it is, right? I, well, I guess there could be bad recognition. I take that back. <laughs> but generally, um, receiving awards, it feels good. And, and you know what? Um, that is an experience that I'm actually used to. I am used to receiving awards. <laughs> but it has nothing to do with my abilities, and it has everything to do with the fact that I am a millennial. Because <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but something happened in the 90s where we agreed as a culture that we are going to give awards to everyone for everything. <laughs> right? And so I grew up as a kid getting all kinds of awards. I mean, whether it was sports or Guys, you guys are looking at the third place 50-yard uh, dash winner in my sixth grade class. Yeah, third place. Um, we were getting academic awards, like for honor roll. They would give certificates for that. Um, 
Matter of fact, they were even giving, at one point, awards for perfect attendance. And what that meant is if a student was able to not miss a school day, at the end of the year, they gave them a perfect attendance award. And they'd give it to the student. And now as an adult, as an apparent, as an a parent, I realize, man, that should have gone to the parent, right? That, <laughs> that, that kid did not do anything but obey their parents. That's, that's what they did. That is a parent award. Um, and so um, I don't know what that did for the rest of the millennials or the rest of my classmates, but it, it truly did motivate me. It motivated me to get these awards in the form of ribbons, certificates, trophies. As a matter of fact, what began to happen in my room, in the, the room that I grew up in, is I began to tape these certificates and ribbons on the wall. But guess who else was in the room? My older brother. And he began to tape his awards and ribbons in the room. And now all of a sudden we had a competition of who could collect the most awards. And so I was highly motivated to get these awards, but there was an award that really started to take center stage in my mind. And that award was the Student of the Month Award. The Student of the Month. Because this award had nothing to do with academics or athletic achievements. What this award was based on was six pillars of character. It was called the Character Counts Award. And what they began to do is they began to teach and highlight these six characters, these six pillars, respect, trustworthiness, responsibility, fairness, caring, and citizenship. And so this award... The way it was given was it was on the teacher to consider, get this, which student in their class best embodied one of these characters or the character of the month. And the entire class, K through 8, that was my, ex my school experience, K through 8, we'd all gather for an assembly. And if you got chosen, you got called to the stage as the, you know, most trustworthy student in, you know, Mrs. Gilbert's fifth grade class. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? So what this program began to then motivate was not athletic achievement or academic achievement. What this program began to highlight was character. Everyone say character. And so naming and rewarding the kind of character that they wanted to see. And so what mattered most in my mind um, was they were choosing the students not based on what they were able to do, but the type of person they were. And he began to explore this question in my mind was, who am I becoming? And so as a young person, I'd sit there, and I would self-evaluate as it was getting close to my class, getting to receive the award. And I would ask myself, am I, am I respectful? Am I kind? Am I trustworthy? Am I honest? Am I a good citizen? Am I fair? But as I began to reflect on this experience, I realized that 
my thoughts of myself didn't really matter in terms of whether I was going to get that award. What it really came down to was who? The teacher. It was the teacher that selected. And so then it became, does the teacher see in me these qualities of trustworthiness, fairness, kindness, honesty? And so I then can ask myself, am I displaying what I want to become? Does that make sense? Am I displaying what I want to become? And so if you're new today or if you're joining online for the first time, welcome. We are currently in a conversation that we're calling The Good Stuff. Can you say that with me? The Good Stuff. You can type it out in the chat. And we've been having this conversation that began last week. And Ilsian shared a message about the fact that um, we don't do what we really, really want. We don't do what we really, really want. We all agree on the good stuff. We want to embody the good stuff. But as Ilsian taught last week, we're not able on our own to produce it ourselves. So we need help. Everyone say help. And that help comes through the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that produces the good stuff that we want to see. So I want to encourage you to go check out that message online on YouTube or via podcast, however you want to um, take that information. And so last week is, what do we really, really want? And today, I want to answer the question, who are we becoming? Who are we becoming? I am beginning um, my message with a premise that's this. God cares deeply about our character. God cares deeply about who or the type of people that we are becoming. So much so that he sent his spirit whose primary work is to form our character. Now, the Holy Spirit... He plays a significant role in the redemption of mankind and the rescue of us. But one of his unique contributions is this. He gives gifts to us and he grows fruit in us. Notice those two distinct things. He gives gifts and he grows fruit. And so what I want to do before we get into that fruit is just quickly remind ourselves of what our the distinctives between gifts and fruit because we see those both taught separately in scripture but they so much are a part of uh, you know the same thing and that's our formation and so the first thing I want to highlight is the gifts of the spirit the way I would define gifts of the spirit in its simplest form is spiritual capabilities spiritual abilities and this is what you and I get to do right what believers do have to do with the gifts we receive. We also believe that these gifts can be given instantly. We see that in the Bible that these regular uh, average Joes and Janes, they receive this power and it's instant. We also see several lists, but we know that those lists aren't endless. And so that there's an endless gift of, of spiritual gifts. And this is really important to know You can be highly spiritually gifted, but spiritually mature. 
And so the receiving of the gifts really has to do with one person, and that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can choose to give his gifts to whoever he wants. And I believe it doesn't have to do with spiritual maturity. Why do I believe that? You have the Corinthian church, who, if you read about, was acting out and living wild. (laughs) They were doing some really immature things, but yet they were spiritually gifted. They were operating in the gift of the Spirit. And then lastly, when you think of the gifts, think of the power of Christ. It's God and what he can do. And on the other side, we have the fruit of the Spirit. This now has to do with our spiritual character. This is who believers are. Not what we do, but who we are. We believe that the fruits, they are not grown instantly. The Holy Spirit just doesn't come upon us and all of a sudden we are patient, kind, good, and have joy. No, this is actually something that is developed gradually. It takes time. We also want to point out that the fruit of the Spirit, it's one fruit that's expressed in a variety of characteristics, three of which we will look at today. And then we also know that Jesus said that we will be known by our fruits. We will be known by our spiritual character. Notice, not our gifts, not our abilities, but who we are. And then lastly, the fruit of the Spirit really is the character of Christ. If you want to define Jesus, then study the fruit of the Spirit. Does all that help, hopefully? Does it make sense, at least? (laughs) Uh, And so I just want to give you one line that uh, I think captures the fruit of the Spirit, and that's this. The fruit of the Spirit is three things. The character of Christ produced by the Spirit of Christ and the follower of Christ. Amen? And so how are they related? Why is it important to think about both? Well, I would say the most important is that the spiritual gifts should always be exercised in the fruit of the Spirit. When we speak a word of knowledge or pray for healing, love, kindness, gentleness, goodness should be the manifestation of how that is expressed. Does that make sense? And so we are encouraged to desire the gifts. We are encouraged to seek out these spiritual capabilities that are promised in Scripture because they serve a purpose. They build up the church. They are for the common good. We are to desire the gifts, but we're also called and led to grow in the good stuff, to grow in Christ's character. And so in Galatians 5, we have a list that begins to capture the character of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, and I want to read it with you today. It says, beginning in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so when we think of the good stuff, our minds immediately go to these nine character qualities. Last week, we studied love, joy, peace, where Ilsen described love as loving someone, crocs and all. (laughs) And I've been wearing them proudly all week. I mean, there's just something about my crocs. 
But today I want to talk about patience, kindness, and goodness. Why? Because to understand the fruit is to know what to look for. Because you see, um, these educators were smart. By putting together these six pillars of character, they then began to teach a young mind like myself, this is the important stuff. To be honest, to be fair, to be a good citizen. They were teaching me what to look for. In the same way as we consider the fruits of the Spirit, it gives us a target. And it teaches us something about who Jesus is. Amen? And so, let's begin. The first word is patience. Patience. Now, if you read a, a few different Bibles, you're going to see that you're going to see a different translations for this word. Um, other translations use the, the word forbearance. And many translations use the word long-suffering. In my opinion, those are not as pleasant. I find that patience is a much friendlier word. Because who wants to have anything to do with long-suffering? Does anyone want to sign up for that? Anyone say, I want more of that. Give me more of that, that suffering long, right? But if we consider patience, what it boils down to, its very definition, requires testing. Patience requires suffering. Patience requires hardship. It's the essence of what patience is. It's in face of that. And so I want to offer up my definition of patience, and it's this. Patience is love. You're going to see that word come up often. Persevering through the storm and flood. Notice the word storm and flood, symbolic of suffering and hardship. And so here's the problem with patience. I want to give you two reasons why I find patience to be problematic. Number one, that it's required every day. Unless um, you are willing to lock yourself in your room and not engage with society, patience will be required of you every day. Yeah? Patience is required when I'm trying to dress my wiggling toddler. It's required. Patience is required when you're on hold with customer service. Amen? Patience is required when your younger child or your teenager or your adult child insists, they insist, that they know better. Patience is required. Patience is required on things like when you're not getting answers to your health concerns. Patience is required. Patience is required when your spouse is working through their brokenness. And you're called to love through that storm. The second thing that, um, that I find problematic with patience, as mentioned, is that you can only grow it through suffering. In Romans 5, Paul says this, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Why would you glory in your suffering? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. There's another translation of the word patience, patience, perseverance. 
Eugene Peterson, he translates this verse, um, the following, we know how troubles can develop passionate patience. And any of us who've gone through something hard, relying on God can speak to the fact that there's been patience, supernatural patience developed in us through that hardship. We've never wished hardship on others. We don't choose intentionally to live a life that would give us hardships, but we believe through the power of mercy of Christ that on the other side of hardship is this idea of the fruit of patience. And then Paul continues that that's a good thing because patience then develops character and then character then develops hope. And hope is a beautiful thing, amen? For those of you who know my story, I taught in Los Angeles um, for like 11 years. And um, one of the schools, um, well, as I, was, as I was a younger teacher, I always admired the veteran teachers. I always admired the experienced teachers because they didn't seem phased at the things that would phase me as a young teacher. Right? Here I was, and I'd have my lesson plan prepared, and I was ready to take on these 44 kindergartners. <laughs> and then 10 minutes in, I realized I, have no, I don't have control of this classroom. <laughs> and here, the same teacher, who's a veteran teacher, just wouldn't seem unfazed. And I began to wonder why. What was it about we're kind of experiencing the same thing. What was it about their response and my response that was different? What, well, a few things. Number one is veteran teachers, they just develop great classroom skills, and they know how to relate better to students, and that takes time to develop those skills. But I also just think generally that these veteran teachers had suffered more. <laughs> That's the difference. They've seen it. They've experienced, oh, yeah, this is, this is just May. This is, that's what that is. That behavior is May. And here I was in my first few years, I was, I was doubting myself. I hadn't developed this muscle of patience in the classroom that these veteran teachers had. And so patience, it's, it's worth producing for a few reasons, uh, but it's also worth admi uh, admiring because patience is a unique attribute to God. It says in Psalm 86:15, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering. There's that word again. Here's this psalmist who's saying, you are worthy of my praise because one of your characteristics is the fact that you are patient. And that's admirable and worthy of praise. Another great thing to think about patience is the fact that we are patient and we strive to produce this patience in us through surrendering to the Holy Spirit because God has been patient with us, hasn't he? That's ultimately the gospel, that God has been patient with us. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is patient, not willing that any should perish. We believe that one of the reasons why Jesus hasn't come back is because God is patient. And so kindness. So kindness uh, the way I defined it is love expressed to others in response to their weakness and fault. Love in response to weakness and fault. And so if we think of kindness that way, then by definition, kindness requires weak 
and faulty people around us. Because you cannot be kind to perfect people. You cannot be kind to perfect people. Kindness requires that people be broken and your response be kindness. And this made me think of my experience just yesterday on the golf course. Because here I was, I was teamed up with four guys, and they obviously all had uh, more experience and more skill than me, and here I was missing the ball and making holes in the grass, (laughs) and totally displaying my flaws. And how did they respond? With kindness. And so I like to say that I brought a gift to the golf team (laughs) yesterday, right, Mike? That was a gift. I brought my flaws so that they can be kind. And so Jesus modeled, he he modeled a lifetime of kindness when, when the woman at the well was brought to him to be condemned, he chose not to condemn her. There was a lot going on in that story, but ultimately she was committing adultery. And here she was in her flaws, and Jesus chose not to condemn her. Jesus, with his closest friends, after they deserted him, he invited them back into mission. Jesus was kind. Jesus was kind to the thief on the cross, welcoming him into paradise that very day. Jesus was kind to all of us when he chose to see our sins and die in our place. Amen? And so kindness can be seen as a descriptor of how God deals with his people. Kindness is how God deals with us. Jesus taught radical kindness kindness when he said, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Notice, it doesn't say he is kind to the perfect. It doesn't say he is kind to those who have it all together. No, God has been kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And then the last thing I want to say about kindness is that kindness, it motivates us in the most profound ways. It changes us in the most profound ways. In Romans 2, 4, Paul says, or do, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Have you heard that verse? God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. And this made me think of, again, uh, some teaching experiences that I had I taught at a smaller school towards the end of my teaching career, and it was a second-chance school. It was a school for all the students that were kicked out or dropped out or credited out of their typical traditional school. So we got the students that wanted to finish, and some of them were older. They were past the age of eligibility of the normal schools. And so we were, ult- we were truly a second-chance school, or some would say a last-chance school. And these students came to us with a lot of flaws, a lot of bad habits. And so um, I found myself being frustrated often. And I found myself being being the one that was quick to suspend. 
or expel. And I remember having teacher meetings and we'd, we'd, we'd start to you know, decide, hey, what are we going to do about this student? I was very often the first to say, I, I think, I think they've, they've proved to us they don't want to change. Let's apply the policy. And I remember in one of those meetings, one of my coworkers, and by the way, th- these are all fellow Christians because we were partnered with a nonprofit. I remember one of those coworkers reminded me of this verse. He said, but Carlos, it's not the rule book that's going to bring change. It's God's, remember, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And I remember she, she reminded me that of a particular student who, who she decided to take in and, and became a second mom for months. And so she wasn't, she wasn't just saying it. She wasn't just saying the verse. She was living it. She was, she was believing that our collective kindness in this moment is going to do something more for the student than to draw a hard line. And isn't that what God has done with us? God hasn't, he didn't throw the book at us. He showed us the book. He showed us the law. He said, hey, this is actually how we're supposed to live. But by the way, you're not going to be able to achieve it. But you should know that this is the standard. But what he did instead is his kindness through his son, through sending his son to die in our place, was his radical act of kindness that should, when we behold that, when we consider that truth, should lead us to repentance. It should lead us to want to go God's way. And so that's the power of kindness. And then the last fruit is goodness. Now, goodness in um, my definition is love in action. It's love in action. We see Jesus being good to the crowd when he fed them with five loaves and two fish because he saw that they were hungry. He knew that they were in a deserted place. He believed that if they left, some would faint, and that wouldn't be good for them. And so not only was he there to be their teacher and give them spiritual nourishment, he cared about their physical bodies as well. Jesus was good. And he demonstrated that with action. And so the author James, he writes about goodness in in, uh, James 2, verse 16. It says, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Simply what James is saying is, if you're not going to do anything, if, you're, if your love, your words don't, aren't followed with action, then that's not really good. He says, what good is it? That is not good because good requires doing. And so when it comes to doing good, I, I want to just offer a few final thoughts. The first thing that we need to think about is we need to use the right measure for what is good. A lot of times we define good based on what we see in society or what we know of people. And we compare, don't we? We say, well, at least I'm not that bad. (laughs) Right? I've at least done X, Y, and Z. But really what the Bible teaches us is we're using the wrong measure. 
the measure of goodness is Jesus. And so when we think about doing good, we look at Jesus as the model. And then the second thing I want to share about good is we don't do good to be good enough. We do good because good has already been done for us. And it goes back to that kindness, right? We are able to put love in action, not because we want to earn God's love, but because we received it. And this is a place of get to. It moves us from get to to have to, doesn't it? So I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they're coming up, I just want to share one final thought about why it's important for us to continue to commit to this, to continue to gather. Because when we gather, we do a lot of things. We, um, we sing songs, like we're going to end with a song here today. We, um, we share invitations. We have events. We have good food. Um, we get to know each other's story. Those are all the good things that we should be doing when we gather. But there's also one thing that happens when we gather, and that's that we inspire good in each other. That's what you and I get to do. Not only on Sundays, but every time you and I get to interact, one of the gifts that we can give each other is the inspiration of good. Whether that's through encouragement, like, hey, keep doing that. That is good. That looks like Christ to me. Or if it's in another form, when we gather, we get to spur one another towards love and good deeds. And so we get to do this. We get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Who are we becoming? I hope that the answer to that is that we are becoming the bride of Christ. That we are reflecting his character. That in our challenging moments, we're allowing the Holy Spirit to grow in us patience. I hope that when flawed people come in our lives, our response is not rejection, separation, judgment, that there would be kindness. Now, there's wisdom in setting boundaries with toxic people, so hear me out. But generally, when it comes to flawed people, our response to them is kindness. And I pray that who we are becoming are people who don't just Talk about a good God, sing about a good God, post about a good God, tweet about a good God, but we would be people that embody the good God, that our actions, our collective lifestyles can be defined as good. Could you imagine? A society that would say, hey, I don't agree with all their beliefs, but I don't doubt that they're good. They do good. So let's pray.
as we prepare our hearts to sing one final song. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for showing us who we are to become in you. Thank you that it is not by our own doing, but by our surrendering, our leaning into a relationship with too good.